0: Adam Rittenberg joining us here on the Full Court Press. Adam, thanks for your time. Oh, thanks for having me on. Hey, so what is your life like as a national collegiate, well-known writer? Are you kind of in that limbo mode like everybody else is?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I cover primarily college football, so I was going to be helping out with the NCAA tournament like I did last year when I saw Utah State. But, um, you know, that obviously was uh, was canceled. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is, not completely unlike what I typically do this time of year, except that I know am out seeing players and coaches during spring practice. That's not happening. And then we're all uh, kind of looking at the season and, and what could happen for the college football season, whether it'll start on time, whether it'll be shortened, whether it'll be much later. There's a lot of possibilities out there not knowing – when we'll all be kind of out of quarantine and be able to get back to campuses and teams can start practicing together in person. So definitely a lot of uncertainty right now, and there'll be a lot of unique, uh, different type of content, I think, in the next couple of months at ESPN and and other outlets.
0: Adam, very few people keep as close of an ear um, or fall as closely with college football like you. What are you hearing about the time frame if football will start on time? Or is there genuine and reality concern that – they're going to maybe push this back.
1: Yeah, I think there's real concern. I mean, you know, what as a Power Five athletic director told me over the weekend, you know, until they can get back to campus, you know, everything is, is on the table. You know, and until you can get back to campus and take classes and assemble in groups that are larger than 10. I mean, think about it. A football team, when you factor in all of the staff and the support staff and everybody that is essentially with a team where it goes through activities, It it can be up to 200 people. So that needs to be cleared from a state level, uh, depending on where you are, to even happen before we can talk about practicing and training and getting ready for a season. And so, you know, I've been asking a lot of coaches this week when's the latest that you can get together and have something, um, you know, uh, be, be ready for the season? Some say June 15th, some say it's July 1st. Some are willing to go a little bit later than that, but I, I think if we're still essentially in a shelter-in-place type of environment in June and July, it's going to be very difficult to start the season on time.
0: What is the solution if they cannot start the season on time?
1: I think the first step would be to uh, eliminate non-conference games, especially the, you know, the so-called buy games with, from the, where, where, where teams are getting a lot of money uh, from a group of five or FCS level. To play at the Power Five schools, I think they would still honor those contracts, but um, those games would be the first to go. So you could have you know shorter schedules, nine games, eight games, ten games, completely conference schedule. Uh, that would probably be the the next alternative and still keep the existing postseason structure. But another model that it has to be considered at this point is whether this is uh, something a sport that can be played in uh, 2021, early 2021. Um, as either a split season or a a spring-only type season, which would be wild to think about. College football being played in February and March and April, maybe with a postseason in May. So that's all on the table because, as you know, without football, a lot of these athletic departments would be, in just major financial trouble, a lot of the smaller programs would be in major danger of being eliminated. Um, it would just cause all sorts of issues if they can't get the season in at all. So I think, as a last resort, uh, the spring is in play here for college football.
0: So if they do eliminate the conference games, what does an independent team say like BYU do?
1: Right. Well, I, you know, I think that would be a real challenge for for Tom Homo and. And everybody at BYU, uh, same with Notre Dame, same with um, Liberty. Uh, you know, how do you maintain a schedule other than playing one another? Um, you know, I think in the case of BYU, maybe that's the non-conference game that some teams would still keep if you're lim- if you're limited to say eight conference games and one non-conference game, or nine conference games and one non-conference game. Maybe BYU remains on enough of those schedules, uh, but I think you would also have, have to get creative. It'd be very difficult. To fill out a complete schedule, especially if you're on the schedule with Notre Dame as well. You know, if a school has a choice to play one of the two, they're probably playing Notre Dame. So it's, um, it would really challenge a lot of these, uh, a lot of these independents. And overall, there would be some real scrambling, I think, from a scheduling standpoint.
0: Adam, I stalk your work on Twitter like nobody else, probably to a scary manner, but it's so good. I was, uh, I really saw something uh, about the Alabama players are able to wear Apple watches during their workouts, and you had actually brought up a really good point that there's that, that scary gray area of issue and compliance. How do coaches handle this situation where they're not able to work in person with their players?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, I think coaches would love to be able to monitor things like workouts and, and what are players actually doing on their own time um, from, a, from a training standpoint. But that's not the case at every school. I, I, every school has to work through their own compliance and their league compliance and how much can they really be a big brother at this time of year uh, or this, in this situation when they're not physically with their players. And so, uh, you know, all these players have, have had workouts distributed to them by their strength and conditioning coaches. Um, coaches are sometimes meeting, um, you know, a couple of times a week with the players virtually, uh, some, some teams are doing a lot less. Uh, I talked to some coaches at Navy over the last week, they're really trying to back off and allow their players to finish up their academics and get all that in order instead of spending a lot of time. On football, you know, not surprisingly, Alabama is a little more hands-on with the football part of it, but um, I think coaches are having to uh, do their jobs in, in ways that are, they've never done before or never really prepared to do when they're not physically with their players. I mean, you, you know it being around a uh, college program. You know, football players are, are, are around each other all the time. And it's not just during the season. It's winter conditioning. It's spring ball. It's um, even you know, going into summer. There's a few weeks maybe they get off, where they can go home for, for maybe two or three weeks at a time, but, but they're never home this long. And so uh, that's, that's a real concern for coaches because they don't know where these guys uh, are eating in some cases. They, they, they're concerned about some of their environments. They're not as safe as they are when they're on campus. and so, But that's just the reality uh, of where we're at right now until uh, these guys are allowed to return to campus.
0: Adam Rittenberg of ESPN joining us here on the Full Court Press. Adam, I know you do a great job covering the Big Ten. I do want to ask you about Jordan Love. He, uh, of course, now moves on to the NFL Draft. Well, I guess the lack of NFL Draft, if you will. Have you heard anything on how this quarterback competition in those spots could go and where Jordan Love could fit?
1: Yeah, I think he's fitting really well. I, I, he's not going to be drafted ahead of Joe Burrow or Tua <laughs> Tagovailoa. I'd be very surprised to be drafted ahead of Justin Herbert, but I think he's likely that next quarterback off the board, or one of the next two or three quarterbacks off the board in the first round. Uh, I think you know, evaluators are very impressed with with his arm, with his frame, and some of the things he did, especially in the 2018 season. And you know, you, you imagine him with NFL receivers and. You're being able to to work with those guys at the highest level. I think I think people get excited. You know, you, I was on a radio show recently and they were asking me about you know, Jake Fromm and Jalen Hurts, who were much higher profile college players than Jordan Love, playing at uh, at Georgia and Alabama, and then obviously Jalen went and played at Oklahoma. Those guys both have limitations uh, I think uh, to their games that Jordan Love doesn't have uh, from a just from an arm strength standpoint and from a just a physical standpoint I, I you know and I think that's why people are excited about a guy like Jordan Love as a first round pick you're know, probably after those top 3 quarterbacks
0: What scares Pete, what scares NFL draft experts or even GMs and coaches about Jordan Love
1: I think last season you know again it was uh, you know he had a chance to really solidify himself as as you know um, you know national awards contender and you know there was a coaching change and there was a new coordinator and and the numbers just weren't as good and so what happened you know those those types of questions need to be asked uh why why so many interceptions you know uh was it mostly on jordan love was it mostly on other people was there something with the scheme that just wasn't working as well as it did in 2018 when when Matt Wells and David Yost were there, so that's uh, that, those are questions that uh, I'm sure he was uh, was asked at the combine. But um, I, I, again, you know, the NFL drafts on uh, a, a, a lot of times on your measurables and on what you look like and the things that you can do at the next level if put in the right position. They they, they are confident that you know if if I draft you, I can make you great because you already have. These, uh, these natural abilities. And that's what that, that's what you just can't uh, you create with a guy like Jake, Jake Fromm, who I really like, but he's not going to have the arm strength of a Jordan Love, of a Tua, of a, of a Joe Burrow. Um, and, and that's why you know, Jacob Easton, you know, those, those types of guys are typically valued a little bit higher.
0: Adam, looking at your uh, article on the, I guess, looking ahead of the future for the top 25 future defensive power rankings, even though Ohio State loses Chase Young, you're still a big fan of Ohio State, present and then into the future. Can you explain to our listeners why?
1: Well, it's Ohio State. I mean, you just look at how they recruit and um, the pipeline of, of great players that they have coming in uh, and, and still have. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they, they were not themselves in 2018 on the defensive side of the ball. That was, that was the anomaly. You know, last year is the norm when Ohio state, the top five defense and playing like it, because they have the players and they have the coaches and they have the scheme that are all aligned. And I think that's safe to assume in the future that they're going to have all of those things, uh, you know, year after year, that they will have to replace chase up front, but they return all three of their linebackers. Uh, They return uh, some really good players in the secondary, even though they lose another, you know, likely top five pick in Jeff Okuda, who was outstanding this past season at cornerback. Um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, they lose uh, Jeff Hathley, their co-coordinator, but they bring back Greg Madison, and they brought back uh, Kerry Coombs from the NFL um, to to their staff. He you know, he was arguably their top recruiter on defense, alongside Larry Johnson, when he was at Ohio State previously under Urban Meyer. So there's just no reason to think their recruiting will drop off that their development will drop off, that they uh, will somehow not know how to run their scheme. You're talking to coaches in the Big Ten. They, They know that Ohio State has the most talent, but they also have great respect for the coaching staff and how they use those guys and their scheme on a year-to-year basis. So uh, Ohio State is one of those programs that a year like 2018 when they were so out of sorts on defense, you're not going to see that very often, and I don't think we're going to see that in the next
0: three years. In that same article, you have the Utah Utes ranked 18th. Even though they lose nine starters from this defense, almost all of them will probably be drafted, including one of their main states of Bradley and I uh, and Lucky Fotu. You still like Utah. Yeah, and it's
1: kind of, in a way, it's similar to Ohio State. Look at the track record. Uh, when is Utah bad on defense? Almost never. And so, yes, they if it was a one-year projection, they're probably not in the top 25. But odds are they'll find a way. Kyle Whittingham, Morgan Scally will find a way to get it, uh, uh, you know, at least respectable this year. And then their track record of development, uh, and they have some guys. I mean, uh, you know, Lloyd at linebacker was uh, was was impressive last year as a first-year starter. They have veteran defensive linemen who are ready to step in. They just didn't have the opportunity as much last year because they were so good up front and they barely spent any time on the field. And then in the secondary, that's probably where you have a, an immediate drop-off. But again, look at who they typically uh, uh, who they typically have there uh, by, by the end of their careers. And Utah, as you know, is never going to win a recruiting rankings contest. But uh, look at how many NFL players come out of there. They they know what they're doing. The staff has great continuity, um, and uh, I think they're going to be you know, solid enough defensively this year, and then most likely really good again in 2021 and 2022.
0: The Mountain West Conference coaching carousel was a big one this year. Uh, What are some of the biggest losses or the biggest upgrades for teams in the Mount West Conference that you saw?
1: Yeah, from a head coaching standpoint, um, you know, obviously the situation at San Diego State is unique, uh, but in a sense, not a huge shakeup there because Brady Hoke's been the head coach and, you know, was with Rocky Long and, and should be able to maintain. You have some continuity there, especially from what they do and how they win on the defensive side of the ball. I really like the Danny Gonzalez hire at New Mexico. Um, Danny was with uh, New- uh, was former New Mexico player, but was at San Diego State with – Rocky Long and, and knows that system and I think will we'll bring a real uh, good mindset to that uh, New Mexico program as, as sort of one of their own um, to, 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 to lead a, a place where uh, it's one of the harder programs in the country at the FBS level. So that'll be a, a really interesting one. Um, your Colorado State was a surprising hire. I, I think it was a head-scratching search, to be honest. Um, thought it was going to be Butch Jones and it maybe looked like Kevin Wilson of Ohio State and you end up with Steve Adazio. Um, I, I think Steve's a, a good coach. I just don't know how well he'll do in this part of the country, never having coached west of Indiana. So certainly an odd fit there at, uh, at Colorado State. Am I missing any there? Are you UNLV? Um, I, I like the Marcus Arroyo Ohio higher there, hire higher there. I think he's uh, uh, he, did, he did a nice job at Oregon. Strong recruiter, uh, good good uh, good offensive background, having spent time at Oklahoma State, and then obviously as the as the Oregon OC. Um, so I, I think he, he, he'll do well at UNLV. Again, one of the harder programs to win at in the
0: country. Do you think Nick Rolovich fits in okay at Washington State? I, I think he's a great fit.
1: I um, actually talked to Rolo earlier this week, and um, you know I, I think he, he even admitted to me I'm not a fit everywhere. <laughs> but I think he, he realizes, and, you know, and again, that, that's, he's unique. And I, it's one thing I, I really like about him is he's so different from many coaches out there. But I think a program like Washington State where you could have a little bit more personality, um, it's not a very buttoned-up program. You know, Mike Leach was there beforehand. He was not a buttoned-up guy. He was more of a, a unique, um, you know, eccentric type. I, said, I think I think Rolo will, will do well. He's already doing a great job connecting with the Washington State fans. We talked about that a little bit. How you know, there's a lot of pride uh, among among Cougs, and he's really uh, connected with those people. And um, I think if if we weren't under all these uh, quarantines, he'd be out doing more kind of in the community. And uh, he's done a great job on social media. I think he'll connect really well with the players and his offense. I and mean, look at what he did at Hawaii offensively um, the last few years. You know, they beat two Pac-12 teams last year in Oregon State and Arizona, and uh, I think he'll his recruiting approach will be interesting. I think he, he wants to get a little bit bigger along the line of scrimmage, but you know what you're going to get from that offense, and, and I think that really connects with Washington State. They want offense. They want tempo. They want points scored. I think Rolo will be able to deliver that there.
0: Adam, nobody does it better than you in regards to the college football business. Thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Be safe.
1: Okay, you too. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, you bet.